Welcome to another episode of the JMS Podcast. We have a great guest. It was poet Jarvis Subia. He came by and recited two poems, and I liked them very much. I met him uh, during a kitchen session in San Jose. It's a gathering of mostly poets at uh, Mighty Mike McGee. Mighty Mike McGee is a poet from San Jose. Check out my interview with him. It was a great talk. And uh, once in a while, he has these gatherings at his house called Kitchen Sessions. And I met Jarvis Subia, and he did such a great job performance-wise and, and so on. That I was like, you know what? I need to get this guy on here. So I finally arranged it, and here he is. And I uh, look forward to that. The end of my Indiegogo campaign is near. It's only like 24 hours left. So by the time this episode comes out tomorrow, it probably will be done. But... We, uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for all the support out there. Even to the people who just shared it on uh, Facebook and such. Thank you so much. And uh, the people who donated. Uh, we didn't reach our goal, but I got enough to really get this thing off the ground now. And trust me, none of this would be possible without you guys. Uh, big, big props to Kusha Sivani, Ryan McLaren, Marty Murillo, and of course, Pauline Guest. You guys are great. Thank you so much. I'm dedicating every episode to you guys because you guys are helping me out immensely. And I'm looking forward to start production on this web series. And uh, yeah, also some opportunities. It's funny how certain opportunities come by to you uh, in such unexpected way. I won't disclose now, but I have a big surprise coming to those who uh, are familiar to the comedy scene in San Jose. I got something big coming. I got big plans. And uh, I think it might just change the scene here a bit. I hope so. Follow this podcast on Facebook. Just search for JMS Podcast. You can also follow on Instagram, Twitter, and iTunes. So yeah, check it out. Now for real, here is my talk with poet Jarvis Subia. Petition to Justin Bieber. In January of 2014, you, Justin Bieber, were apprehended and arrested for drag racing two luxury sports cars while under the influence, sparking a nationwide petition to have you deported from this country. Oh, Biebs. I bet you didn't know what the sirens felt like. How that red and blue glare could easily tint your skin a shade of non-threatening. I bet you didn't sweat a bullet in the back seat and your first call was to your publicist. I bet you tipped the driver out of impulse. I bet you slept well that night with a mugshot smile as wide as your pearly white privilege sitting in the same cramped jail cell meant to contain colored males far less famous than you in your skin. But consider this an embrace so snug you can feel your own borders. No, we are not signing the petition to deport you 
though do think it would be nice to have 247,000 signatures telling us to leave and still choose to stay, but it only takes one phone call for INS to deport anybody who doesn't look like you. Every deportation is only another statistic this country can boast about, though to us, sounds more like horror stories in apartments no bigger than poverty where friends our age are forced into guardianship to keep siblings from becoming orphaned or a busload of children told we ain't got the taxes to keep you here but we got it to keep you out in 2012 immigration and customs enforcement bled 315,943 immigrants like a bad disease yet hands out permanent residency statuses to over 100,000 Europeans the American body again brings in new white blood cells to push out a brown infection while the countries leading in deportation are Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, not Canada, not the United Kingdom, and not Germany, not Canada, and not white-skinned immigrants. This country doesn't have an immigration problem, it has a racism problem that my family too knows well how my grandmother's journey across a hot and sandy desert is now a distant memory of a wide river and a long walk in hopes of finding a home that she could feel safe enough to return to brown skin broken english and all and now it scares me to think there is a day where the great-grandchildren she has traveled so far for would not have to worry if their nationality will become a red flag calling into question their citizenship and would have to live by the same rules that our families have who have lived here have already known one be grateful for any job that pays you under table while you remain underpaid underdocumented where you remain under, sorry, one, be grateful for any job that pays you under, under table while you remain underpaid, underbenefited, underrecognized. Two, be sure to stay with legal family and use their address. Three, avoid immigration and customs enforcement. Four, avoid Arizona. Five, avoid the police, though it may be too late for that. Stay calm. Your white skin and fame will protect you. The privilege is of not having to worry about any of this. Yeah, so a lot of people don't come to this part of downtown. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> sorry, a lot of people don't go north of downtown. It's very industrialized. Here's a which is a, uh, crazy because you know a lot of headquarters around here. I mean, you're talking about PayPal. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the new Samsung building. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's really here in this area. Yeah, I feel like you wouldn't come um, unless, unless you're working in this. Like it's like almost like the uh, the professional side of San Jose. Huh? And, and and me, you know, living in these in these types of homes really says something about this area. Mm. Is there's a huge juxtaposition between the, the the lower class and the upper tech people working around in the area. Absolutely. So yeah. <laughs> I just find that interesting. But surprisingly, I think, so I think, it's, well, I think it's very common for the entire Bay Area. There is, you know, there's massive amounts of wealth in pockets um, that aren't necessarily like you know distributed out. Um, which words like gentrification gets thrown around, where it's like you know. Uh, like the poverty gap um i had a i had a buddy of mine um his name is uh andrew andrew bigelow or he goes by andrew biggs and he did he did some uh, he did some social work not too long ago um where he marched from apple headquarters to um to the east side of san jose to one of the largest homeless encampments in the in the nation the jungle um yeah and yeah. so in the and they and they did uh they did a bunch of protests along the way. It was like a three day march. Actually it might have been vice versa. It might have been from there to Apple. Um but um 
there yeah, there, there was a lot talking about like the wealth gap and these these huge money making corporations not giving enough back to the communities they're in. So, which seems to be a common trait almost worldwide. Uh huh. Right. Like. Because yeah. I guess. Does it come with the territory when you make a corporation not to give back to the community? I think... Uh, well, maybe yeah. it comes down to responsibility. Like, it's not my responsibility. It's the local government. It's responsibility. Exactly. It's definitely... It's the... Uh, it's the... Um, the backside of a... You know, living in a capitalist society. Um, really interesting. So, if anyone's listening to this, I was just watching the... Um, the Bernie Sanders interviews with uh, Killer Mike. Um, they just released them a few days ago. And he has about, like, six interviews where they talk about just different parts of, of like, viewpoints on politics. Um, and one of them is, you know, Bernie Sanders is really big on making corporations pay back. And he was talking about the uh, bas- basically how how a corporation will not um, will not want because of, because of just the fact that they want to keep the money. They will not, you know, pay for legislation or bills or acts to, like, to like give back to a, to a community. You can't go to Wall Street. And um, and be like, I have this. I have this plan where we're gonna take a portion of your money to 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 fund college students' um, tuition, so no one has to pay for college. And and you're just, they're gonna get so much backlash for that. Um, and it's and it's like that's why, that's why government has to fight against some of these larger corporations to actually make some of these things happen. So ironic is the bigger picture. That's that's kind of ideal is to have an educated population to mm-hmm. not to even be part of Wall Street even does that make sense yeah but see the thing is so and the conspiracy of it all <laughs> um, oh is there a conspiracy here <laughs> I don't know if it's conspiracy but it's definitely like you know it's an it's an assumption theory that you know yeah like essentially you want as a as a government you want a well educated well spread out uh, well well spread out economic uh, populace but you know as uh, as we found out during you know the uh, the uh, a lot of the occupations and the, the, the first the 99 versus the one um, when you when you have the power you don't want to distribute it and education and educating people to do to 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 move out of their current place is a way of distributing the power um, and I just don't think I don't think these these large money making corporations necessarily want that so you're saying education is not something they want for the larger population I, I would personally argue that I don't know if that's a I don't know if anybody else um, they come out but I would say I would say um, not not educating not educating the masses is a way um, is a way of oppression that's a vehicle of oppression like they're deliberately are, are trying to convince students to, to, to get out of school I wouldn't say it's very deliberate but it's making it very hard for students um, from low-income families to go to college, to think about college, to even think that feasible, be just because of economics alone, and um, and not having there be enough resource for them to get there, as opposed to somebody who comes from more of a well-off family, where that route is is uh, is something maybe they've seen their entire life, mm-hmm. um, and so and there's and so and it's like it's like we know so we know this is happening, and we're not necessarily trying to prevent it. Uh, which essentially is keeping the money um, in in the in the uh, in the divide from the you know from the upper to middle the middle to lower, um, you know, you usually stay stay within that tax bracket. Now, how, how do you figure this came to be? Because I don't, I can't imagine this uh, really uh, been this system like that 
because because education was cheap at one point, very cheap, mm-hmm. like in the seventies and, and the the kind of in the eighties. I think it was it was more towards the nineties. I feel the tuition spikes really started going up. Mm. Do you feel there's a change of of culture at the time when it comes to education and finances? I mean, um, so because I'm so I'm a nineties baby. I'm like I'm a baby baby, but uh, I uh, so what I what I believe I think because. The, the the amount of people who have gone to school in the seventies, the amount of people going to school now is 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 grown dramatically. Um, I think I think more people going to school is driving um, is driving for the creation of more colleges and the creation of more institutions, um, right. which may be which may be leading to you know um, rise and rise in a uh, in tuition cost, um, rise in you know what. Uh, I guess what it yeah what the what the colleges need in themselves to provide for the students, um, colleges in themselves uh, to an extent um, need to become you know a money making business just to provide for the amount they do, but um, it's a yeah I would say there there's there's a there's a large increase I'd say the increase though is what is uh is driving is driving the numbers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, uh, and, and I, I feel in general the health, uh, the, yeah, the education system in the United States needs a huge overhaul. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think it, it's one of the problems with being such a huge country in comparison to many other countries that have such great education system, is that uh, there's it's so large that the way to teach or the subjects to teach uh, are are very selective. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was totally shocked. I was going to De Anza. And uh, here in high school, maybe even middle school, they teach you that in the Holocaust, you know, Jews, gays, uh, uh, certain types of immigrants were also in concentration camps, right? Mm. So growing up here, it's like, oh, it's common knowledge that they, they, they fucked up not just the Jews, but a bunch of people. And I had a guy who transferred over from uh, Iowa. And we're taking this geography class, and this teacher just, you know, just mentioned like nothing. Oh, yeah, then this happened. And moving on, and the guy's like, "Wait, that happened?" Like he was like a twenty-year-old not knowing that, mm-hmm. and that shocked me. I was like, "How do you not know that?" Like he's like, "Oh, well, you know, I thought it was just the Jews that were persecuted during World War Two." I'm like, "They didn't teach you this at school?" I'm like, "No." So it's like when I realized, like, okay, it's it's very different, and, and that's just an example when yeah. it comes to history. But I think that's true in English. I think that's true even in mathematics. I you know there's some people that don't go higher than algebra, or, or algebra two. You okay? Oof, I'm just getting gassy. <laughs> <laughs> and and in college too, uh, I, I think education is is, is should not be uh, a privilege. I think it should be a right. I think everybody has. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. I, I you know, and that's what and that's to an extent what education is right now is a is a privilege for people who are able to get there. When it's you know education is free, you know knowledge is free. It should be accessible to everybody. Um, I don't know about free because that that's that's well it depends how you define that 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 notation of free. Uh, I mean, I personally I personally think there should be systems in place that are feasible to the American government to pay for education for these masses to pay for a higher education for the masses. I mean, we have a thirteen billion dollar um, thirteen billion dollar uh, you know uh, defense budget. I read a, I read a statistic recently that you know um, the cost of a U.S. fighter jet could could uh, feasibly um, 
could like could like feasibly stop homeless populations or provide homes for the homeless population in the United States. The cost of like you know maybe a fight like maybe not even just one fighter jet maybe it's like a fleet of fighter jets, but they cost you know one of them is like at least a couple hundred million. Yeah. Um, Do you know that some of them don't even work? Yeah, and they're just and they're just chilling there. Yeah, Lockheed Martin, uh, they're actually recalling a lot of their jet fighters because they're having uh, issues with them. So it's like you're using so much of our money into something that most likely is not going to work. And on top of that, it doesn't really help uh, the international community at all. It's creating more more bombs than we already have. But yeah, but you're right. Isn't that a fucked up notion though? That we have the money to support our education system, support mm-hmm. our healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And uh, support uh, so many other systems, but yet we invested in a lot of uh, this military-industrial complex kind of uh, uh, industry, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and I mean, um, so back to my my I call it conspiracy theory because you know nobody wants to prove it. But if you look at if you look at systems of oppression and systems of fear mongering, um, and keeping the masses, you know, worried about a war, worried about um, money worried about surviving it's hard for them to do much else like educate themselves like provide for themselves like fight for the rights they need um and i mean it's you know you see that you see that so much um you know i grew up with that i grew up in a family that needs to survive it's still there and it's hard for us to you know to be like oh no we deserve these better things uh because we're so busy just trying to make getting by with what we have right now Mm -hmm. um and I mean, like, I think that's that's a very common case in America. Um, yeah, and it's and it's and it's sad to see. Um, do you, Do you feel that that uh, coming from that background? Because uh, I feel like I come from that background as well. Mm-hmm. Does that help you feel your creative expression? Uh, like to feel my creative expression? Yeah, like that that feeling of there has to be more than this. There has to be better than this than, than where I'm at, where my friends are at, where we're, we're trying to squeeze a dollar out of a dime. Not just for education, but just for food on the table. Mm-hmm. I think, I think to an extent, it does. Um, I think it fuel. It definitely fuels a lot of the, uh, a lot of the spaces I write into, and a lot of things um, I write about and perform about. Um, excuse me. Was it the mineral water? <laughs> yeah, but it's all good. I can get you some water as well. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Thank you. Have you counteracted the gases? <laughs> Um, but, but yes, uh, I think, um, it does, it does fuel my creativity. Um, I think coming from spaces of, of, uh, not having wealth, um, you know, it's, it's, so so money is kind of like, you know, a thing I've worried about, but loosely been a thing I've not had to worry about. I think, I think it, to an extent, um, it gives you a once I got to the point where I when I was when I was stopping to 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 worry so much about money and finances and started working and started worrying about the work and about doing the work um, in whatever form that comes in, I realized um, there's a little bit of freedom that comes with that I believe, and that helped me just be help my creativity just come to forth um, when I was when I was just like I or just having the outlet of creativity as well creativity writing uh, poetry art has always been an outlet for me it's always been a place to channel emotion and uh, and thoughts and feelings into a, into a space okay when was the first time you considered doing poetry in a more serious level um, probably during like sometime during my college experience 
like my sophomore junior year or so where'd you um, go to college at i went to san francisco state university hey what did yeah. you study there i studied um i started out as a actually as a business major and then uh, when I found a passion for writing, I decided I wanted to be a writer. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> you went from finances to creative arts. Exactly. Uh, that's uh, interesting. Right? It was, it was interesting. Well, because, like, the idea, even with business, is I wanted to, to start some sort of um, – I wanted to go – I actually wanted to go into food and, um, and like, uh, in, be, in being uh, – and going into the food, there's a lot of creativity in that as well. Um, and so, and so I, I felt like I wanted to go to business for creativity anyways, but as I was finding, I was, I've always been writing. I've been writing since, um, since as far back as I can remember somehow. And, um, when I realized it became more of a passion and something I actually was really good at and had a really good, um, had a really good network of people and resources and support system at SF State that I just, I just made the transition. Um, and I haven't really looked back since. And I said you, you're looking for business in the food industry. Yeah, I used to want. I used to want to be a cook. I used to want to be a cook, and I wanted to open a restaurant and um, go through that route um, because you know money. And you, if you own a business, you're making money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea, but um, <clears throat> just being just being in the major. Well, one, two. Um, the the emphasis on my major had been um, had been closed due to due to the budget cuts. So I started college around '09, around like the height of the. Is of there the a crash. business culinary section? No, but there was a small business entrepreneurship. entrepreneurship, and so I was going in okay. entrepreneurship, and I was the idea was going to go, I was going to go in the food after, but um, my first semester there, they had closed out the major, and a lot of the advisors, and you know, as classes were getting impacted, they were just telling all the students to go into administration and administration management, and they're just telling you it's the same thing. Um, when you know business administration is not the same. No, it's not. There's so, a difference between working <laughs> for yourself and working for someone else. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, I was, I was having, um, I was having a lot of like different, different views, and uh, it wasn't really meshing well with some of the classes I was taking, uh, mainly because they just did weren't what I wanted to do. Um, it was interesting when I was making the change. Um, I went and saw an advisor, and they had looked at my schedule, and they were like, they were like, uh, they're looking at like you know, yeah, they're looking at like my my uh, my transcripts, and they're like your, like your grades and your and your, um, the way this looks, it reflects like the student who is not interested in this major. Because most of the classes I just weren't doing well in, or classes in the like the specific classes that I just weren't interested in, as opposed to like GEs and everything before that, which I did well in. Uh, once I hit my major, it was just like I'm I'm not so about this as I was when I first started out. Um, and at, and at that same time is when I had found uh, I was I was already slamming by that time. I was involved in a writing organization on campus, poetry organization. Um, I had I had networked and met a few slam poets that I just started like becoming extremely infatuated with um and i then i said you know what? i think i want to write i think it's what i want to do and so i started doing the writing program and SSA has a fantastic creative writing program it was it was uh, everything and more i wanted yeah i mean i remember because uh, i do like business business i have a lot of business books that i like to read mm-hmm. um in some ways uh, you know like a restaurant i love to open a restaurant but uh, restaurants are such risky businesses i much mm-hmm. rather wait till later on in life where you know Hopefully by then I'll have some some sort of great income. God knows what, it, what that will be, but uh, but yeah, but I got I I kind of don't like business classes. Yeah, I love business. I love how it works. I just uh, don't like in a class. Uh, Could be because I had a bad experience, kind of. Uh, I, I was kind of bullied out of a out of business classes hmm. um, by a, a teacher. Well, I can't say bully. It wasn't really that. But I remember there was a. Uh, 
I mean, the guy knew his shit, and there's a difference between knowing your shit and teaching and teaching and whatever. You know, some people mm-hmm. know everything but don't know how to teach. Yeah, this guy was alright, but like I remember, like, he he asked the class, like, who wants who who wants who's he, who's here to make money? Of course, everyone raised their hand. Mm-hmm. Who's here to you know create whatever ideas? Everyone raises their hand. Mm-hmm. And he says, right. but at some point he goes. Who here is here to you know make better their community and, and such, and, and spread the wealth? And I, I was the only fucker that raised his head. I was the only guy. I, like, I thought I thought everybody was gonna do it because like yeah, ideally that's what you want, regardless if you're in business or not. Like mm-hmm. yeah. So I raised my hand. I looked around. Nobody else was raising their hand, and and they all laughed at me, including the teacher. He's like, really, you're here for that? And like, like I look I look like such a dumbass, just like. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I was like, you know what? Maybe it's not for me. I'll tie, but, I'll, I can tie that back to, you know, the idea of corporations not helping out the community. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I think it was an idea. It was a philosophy inside of that. But do you um, feel, like, for me, that that happened in an educational uh, field. Do you feel this is a, a culture that's, that's kind of incubated when people are going to school for business? Um, I can't say. I think, I think it's a culture of who who you surround yourself with. Um, I think a lot of these people come from from spaces where this is that that is the common belief is to take the wealth and keep the wealth. Um, whether it because your school or whether it's your family or whether it's your social class. Um, I think it's just it's the community you surround yourself with because there are business there are business um, um, there are you know business owners and and people who with wealth who will give back and will do those things but it's not very common and it's not in the amount we need um, unfortunately uh, but I think yeah I think it more comes comes from uh, from that from that background um, yes uh, actually I'm really interested in to know what kind of restaurant you want to open. I wasn't entirely sure. Um, Is there a type I was of like, food you like to cook? Uh, me personally, I like I like cooking everything. <laughs> uh, I like doing a lot of like uh, like spice foods. I was kind of really thinking about doing something in like like Indian food, like Mediterranean. Maybe not so much Medi- just like uh, so like you, you're seeing a lot of restaurants now that are based in like uh, you know like the hipster restaurants or like you know like the new restaurants that are based in that so much like cultural foods but like specific um you say like a specific type of food or a specific you know i just wanted to do like hot foods like no matter what it could just be some sort not like super spicy but like you know maybe be like sweet and spicy i feel like there's a lot of range inside inside heat sweet and spicy so we're talking about like like south asian food like thai so it'd probably be like a mix of all these things. It'd probably be like maybe Indian food, some Thai food, some Hispanic food. So it'd be like a fusion. Um, yeah, like a fusion, but really just like kind of revolving around heat. Um, there's there's a restaurant I used to think of. There's a restaurant in uh, San Francisco called The Stinking Rose. And um, it's a little bit of that. It's more Italian-based, but there is like it's a garlic-themed restaurant. So everything in there has garlic in it somehow. Are you sure it's not in Goroy? Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's... Is San Francisco? Yeah, it's, okay. a, it's on Columbus, and it's a cool spot. Um... But that's like their big thing is like we're gonna put garlic in everything, um, and that's like one of my favorite restaurants. That sounds and awesome, right? Cause Better I really, for dates, maybe. Remember, <laughs> not so much for dates. Yeah. Um, but I li- I like it because I'm like garlic too. I like real like big flavors, um, and so and so I was thinking about doing something like that. But um, it's funny too because I was talking to I was talking to a lot of people when I was doing um, 
the transfer and I was moving over and um, you know they were telling me it's not you know being an entrepreneur isn't necessarily something you have to go to school for isn't something it's something that school could help for but um, running a small business isn't like you know extremely difficult uh, I actually work for a small business owner right now and um, he didn't study business well I don't work is it he owns uh, he owns like a gourmet sandwich shop. It's a deli, and so I go there and I, I help him out. Um, so I'm, essentially, I'm still in food right now. But um, yeah, and he he just knows he just knows the system really well, um, and he has a business partner who has has a couple restaurants, um, and the business partner makes you know enough money to, to be well really well off, and uh, it's not yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of management. I think if you're really good at management, you're really good. Yeah. at like organization sometimes I people mean, are born with it yeah yeah and it, and it helps and i mean essentially like yeah reading business books being in the being in the mindset will help but i don't think entrepreneurship is something that necessarily needs school um i think you can just you can just do it um and the, you, obviously you need to like learn about it yeah but um doesn't really need a four-year degree well that's an interesting notion you bring up and that's mm-hmm. a notion i've talked to friends about is that Education is important for the masses, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think everybody should have an education. However, I think there's a misconception that the education is the be-all of all if you need to do anything. Because there's a lot of things in education you do not need to go to university for. Exactly. Entrepreneur, film, a lot of the creative stuff, you don't necessarily need it to be in the business of it. In the mm-hmm. business of film, in the business of music. Mm-hmm. You do not. Which is which is another reason... Not just financial, that I feel this should be an overhaul of the education system, but also what we're teaching students as well. I think university is a place for you to, you know, not to sound cliche, but to expand your mind mm-hmm. to other stuff. And I think it's important. I'm not saying to disclude, you know, those skill sets from, from the university, uh-huh. but I think there's a misconception of, oh, you want a business? You need to go to school for that. It helps exactly. maybe, but for, for like bottom line, you don't need it. Mm-hmm. Not to discourage any, any listeners who are, who are business uh, at all, but but you know, like I'm a f- I'm studying film. Mm-hmm. Do I need it? Do I need the degree? No. Yeah. But I know it's important because it's a good networking device. Mm-hmm. It's an expensive networking device. Exactly. But at the end of the day, that's what I use. But technically, I could just go to an LA and try my luck there. Yeah, exactly. I have a um, yeah. It's like, in like you know, it's like because you know for some whatever reason people going and getting the four-year degrees become increasingly over you know you could say the past century um the amount of people who just keep growing and going to university and seeking education which isn't necessarily institution isn't education it's a resource for education right bingo you got it right there man yeah and you, you can go you know you get a library card and you can go learn <laughs> it's it's ridiculous how but, crazy uh, is it that you go the, the martin luther king library mm-hmm. is the one it's the, huge it's it's the biggest and most state-of-the-art Library west of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Fact. You go in there, not a single... or The majority of the students are not reading the books. Mm-hmm. It's the homeless people reading the books. Mm-hmm. We got some of the smartest fucking homeless people in the in the fucking country, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And and I just find it ironic that a lot of SJSU students, in particular, because it's attached to the university, take that for granted. Yeah. I don't know. It's, you just robbed I mean, something in me in that. I don't know why I, mean, I brought that up. No, exactly. Like, I, I personally do, too. I, uh, you know, I have a library card. I don't go as much as I should. But I understand that the resource is there. And, I mean, you know, college, is sent, you know, in the ideal sense, is, you know, this, this like, huge resource center 
put into one place because you're supposed to have all these opportunities to learn various subjects and you're meeting with all these like students you're networking with who are also learning in this environment that's pushing you forward that's not always the case i think at some universities it is um and at some universities it's not and i've heard other and i've heard that um from people too depending depending where you're at um but uh but yeah i think i think you know you can educate yourself any way possible but I do think institutional education should be free because of because of the more uh, um, not direct because because it's it's a large it is an epicenter it's an epicenter of education and knowledge um, that has just been I think has been blown out of proportion for pricing um, yeah that was <laughs> oh yeah I had another point, but I forgot it. So. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I mean, I agree with you that. But another concern I have, and it's not really related to that, is what subjects are we teaching, and and who who is to say what is this to be taught and this is not to be taught, and but I think that's a little an issue with something else. I think because mm-hmm. it's it's like I said, such a big country, it, like people's beliefs or what they want to believe is regional. Mm-hmm. For some reason, parts in the South still think the Civil War is still, like, a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's hard, uh, especially as a country, to be unified in that way. I think it's yeah. even harder now to really have a unified dialogue about uh, our, our important domestic issues. Mm-hmm. And, again, a lot of it, I mean, I can't, it sounds like an excuse because we do have the Internet where the Internet brings everything closer. Mm-hmm. But the Internet has helped immensely. Politics has immense uh, communities getting help from other communities. Mm-hmm. But there is a sense of social distance with each other, I feel. Mm-hmm. Almost in an arrogant way, where I don't want to listen to this guy. Because I already have a preconceived notion of, oh, he's a socialist. You know, like Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. I think he's a great candidate. And for some reason, the biggest concern people have is because he has that label of being a socialist. A self-proclaimed mm-hmm. socialist. Exactly, yeah. And I'm like, don't let... Don't let a label stop you from learning someone else's ideas yeah and that goes back to education is 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 don't you know it's a place to meet different people from different perspectives exactly even if you even if you disagree with them mm-hmm. it's, i think it's very important to listen to them exactly you don't I want feel, you don't I, want am to, i preaching here i'm sorry no, it's you're fine. the guest well, what's no. your take on this jarvis <laughs> I mean that's exactly right. Am I, think, I full of shit, Jarvis? No, you're not full of shit. <laughs> uh, I think I think you're right. I think um, I think you shouldn't stop listening to somebody. You don't want to close your mind off to somebody, because even if you don't disagree with them, they may shed new light onto something for you, or may open something else, or may open up a discourse on something else that you want to have conversation about. Um, and that and that I think is important. Um, and back to the, actually the Bernie Sanders and being called socialist, they were talking about it. So the same thing in the Killer Mike interview I was just watching. Um, I have to get, I have to watch. I refuse to watch that for a bit. Uh, I felt it was like a little. I don't know. Like, like again, I had a preconceived of of that uh, musician. Uh, so I don't like his work. So mm-hmm. I'm not gonna listen to that. Okay. You know, it's 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 like it's like Justin Bieber, whatever. But I was like, I think again, even uh, I in some ways have to learn from like to still hear from others in their perspective. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Bernie Sanders and the what Killer Mike? I don't know his name. Yeah, Killer Mike. Killer Mike. Uh, is he a killer? So, what 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 is called himself Killer Mike? I think that's that's just that's just the hip hop name he has. 
And so he's uh, he's definitely someone who's really educated in hip-hop. He's really educated in politics. Um, I'm not super familiar with his work. I've actually only started, in the past year or so, I've only started like becoming becoming knowledge, aware of him. Um, but he's somebody who's hugely impactful in the community and, and, and it encompasses the ideals of hip-hop and Zulu education and the things that we learn um, and learn through this through this music um, is, is, is some of who he is. And so I know he's a big name in the hip-hop community as well, which is... Which is uh, which is why it's getting a lot of getting a lot of stir that he's a big Bernie's uh, Bernie supporter, but I think he's why? also um, not a big stir, but like, it's getting a lot of backing. People are really enjoying that 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 Bernie like, Killer Mike is backing Bernie Sanders so openly as well. Um, See, a skeptical part of me is like, uh-huh. so what? Like for me, like it's like, oh, some rapper likes this guy, or some 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 so, guitarist likes that guy. But I think I think it's T- I think it's yeah. Ted Nugent likes Trump. <laughs> Does that mean oh, that's cool? I don't know. I think it's partly who Kill- who Killer Mike is and what he represents is why. It's like as opposed to like Little Wayne backing Bernie Sanders, which might get some th- people following him too, because a lot of people follow Little Wayne and like not to knock Little Wayne, I like some of his music, but I think uh, I think Killer Mike represents something else inside of the hip hop community and inside of um, I think he represents something in the in the lower class community, and I think so that he embodies that and he talks about that a lot because he comes from that background. Interesting. He understands it and he still lives there and he still lives in that. Do, do, um, don't you feel that a good amount uh, in the hip hop community come from lower classes? Did Lil, yeah. Lil, Lil Wayne come from lower class? Yeah, the guy I went mean, to prison himself. Yeah, and I mean that's that's kind of like you know that's the idea of hip that's the you know the idea of hip hop is you come from these, you know hip hop was birthed in in poverty in in uh, you know in in uh in poor New York and uh, most most music is 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 born from the 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 poverty low class mm-hmm. blues jazz there well, I have a whole thing on jazz but blues. All these kind of music comes from the common people, mm-hmm. and that's something that pisses me off when there's elitism in music. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a whole different subject. I'm so sorry, man. I keep fucking this up. Killer Mike, Bernie Sanders. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, so basically, they, he just made a point. He made a point that you know a lot of people are calling Bernie, Bernie Sanders a socialist, but yeah, um, you know, uh, when uh, who was the point? A lot of people were calling that to also. I think he was saying FDR, FDR when he was talking about in, in initializing um, uh, social security and bringing these FDR, things FDR, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. I can see the comparison there, uh-huh. but FDR took it a whole other level. That guy was practically a monarchy. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but, but yeah. I, I, I get your point though. But but there but there were a lot of like uh, excessive government used to, to benefit the populace. I think he was talking about he was using that people were giving him a lot of flack for. Um and so that's you know it's like not always, you know. And social security is something we be- we benefit off today still, something we still use, um, that we still we still need. Um, and so that's why I don't think it's always a bad thing to to neglect uh, somebody just because of maybe the way they're labeled as a viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know it's hard. I understand. Um, like a guy, a friend was telling me that like they're doing some studies. And it turns out, you know, like that that thing of like some people can't distinguish other people's by by their ethnicity like you know the, oh they all look the same kind of kind of mm. thing they're saying that the brain sometimes if you're not familiar with something would try to uh you know it's like zebras it's like it just all the stripes look all the same although each zebra has a distinct stripe design mm-hmm. but the brain will try to make it you know somehow understandable to what you're familiar with okay which is according to my friend it, 
it, it explains why a lot of people when they like when they refer to other ethnicities as like oh they all look the same it's like sometimes they can't help it sometimes you know it, it's just the lack of them not being exposed to different cultures mm-hmm. I could believe that yeah that that definitely you know when you want to rationalize what what this thing is you may be unfamiliar with which is another big reason why you should go out there and meet other people mm-hmm. exactly you know what I'm saying even, even, even if you don't speak the same language mm-hmm. our, our facial features and emotions are pretty universal mm-hmm. so, hey you don't know English but hey you're smiling that's a good <laughs> sign right, right. <laughs> oh no you look angry okay uh, maybe not you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. yeah no definitely yeah definitely go out and meet meet whoever you can <laughs> let's bring it back to you Jarvis though you, where were you born and raised I was born and raised in San Jose California San Jose uh, here yeah so here uh, you mentioned from the South Bay I mean, from the South San Jose area, right? Yeah. So, I'm South San Jose. Uh, went to Oak Grove High School. Um, went, and you said you were writing when you were younger. Yeah. So, I was writing. I remember I started writing, like, I started writing poetry when I was probably, like, sometime in junior high. Um, and then I just sort of really kept it to myself until I got to college. Uh, I was, like, a jock. So, I was, like, I was doing a lot of sports. Right. Um, it's not really a cool thing for jocks to write poetry. Well, so, I would write, like, on the low. And I would, like... You know, share it with girls. What, kind of, what kind of sport was it? Uh, I did. I did football and wrestling. Uh, mainly wrestling for a really long time. Uh-huh. And um, but but what got you to poetry? Was it a class he took, or was it just out of the blue? Like no, I. Uh, so it's a funny story. I uh, I met a girl. <laughs> ah <laughs> yeah. yes. So I met a girl. It usually on, starts uh, that way. Yeah. On like a wrestling trip or something, and uh, and then we had like you know it was like I was probably like seventh or eighth that's probably like eighth grade i think it is was she a wrestler and no i just met her we go because we go on a trip every year to reno and there's a big tournament in reno every year and so i just met her in reno i remember being at one of the like one of the there's like a, a kid center in like the circus circus yeah and so that would be like where all of us oh that was sorry that's mine oh um and there was like a kid center circus circus like um like a chuck e cheese type you know tickets and whatever and um and that's where all like you know we would all go and try to pick up girls <laughs> after the tournament or in between uh, and i met her there and uh we were talking this summer and i remember she asked me something i think i had told her i'd like lied i was like yeah i write poems i totally write poems <laughs> like what do you mean and then and then she's yeah. like cool show me one and i was like fuck <laughs> uh, she called your bluff right she got my so i had her i had to write a poem um and she ended up really liking it and on the so, spot uh, I don't know if I I might have just like had to go figure it out. I think I probably like looked up how to write sonnets and, and I wrote and I figured out the A B A B sonnet and I just maybe wrote something like that and I uh, and I sent it to her and she liked it and then I just kind of kept doing that through the summer um, and uh, and then like nothing really happened between us after that. But I've realized that, you know what I think I really like writing poetry and so I just like would write from time to time. Um, I had like writing notebooks, writing wherever. Um, and I would just keep them to myself and never share it. Do you, do, you kept in touch with her after the poems? I mean, yeah. I mean, like, we, we had, like, a thing throughout the summer. Oh, um, really? Okay. So it was, like, a, you know, it was, like, a long distance. We talk on the phone a lot, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but then nothing ever became of us. But the poetry stuck. And so I carried the poetry with me ooh, throughout excuse me again, uh, throughout high school, and I just kind of wrote to myself, and maybe I would share it with, like, girls every here and there. You know, it was really kind of, like, like, like girls, like, sensitive guys or whatever, so I would read them, like, my love poems or whatever. Has uh, it worked for you? I mean... <laughs> it hasn't worked with me. I mean, apparently, well, apparently most, so most every relationship, I haven't been in many relationships, probably, like, two. Um, 
but like they they usually I think usually the poetry was like a sticking point um, for me but I mean you know I've definitely tried to share with more women <laughs> than <Yeah>. that <laughs> uh, so it doesn't always work but I mean it works it works sometimes um, and then so then I did kept doing that and then when I got to college I started realizing oh I could write about like other stuff um, and then I started figuring out like other I started just pushing into like the things that I'm passionate about and things I feel about um, which became you know more like political writing and more just writing on like consciousness or more writing on um, you know other other viewpoints things college kids go through um, do, you, do you have any uh, poetic inspirations uh, my inspiration so I, I watch I watch a lot of spoken word poets uh, I'd say I watch I, I uh, look at more spoken word poets than I do page poets I do respect page poets and I, I do I do read from time to time um, so you feel there's a correlation with poetry and performances I think yeah I think uh, because you know when you're on you know, performance is like you know is a whole different ball game than reading a book so there's, there's so much present and there's so much um, in being in the space um, and I'm pretty sure it's the same for comedy you know that you have to be there um, you know that's that's different it's like you know the difference between a stand-up probably and like you know a sitcom or something um, you know so you're like so there's so much in owning the space and being in that space so you have to, your writing has to to like be written in preparation for that in preparation that you're gonna be in front of a group of people doing this um, and so it changed it changes a couple things the way you write the way you format um, but I mean in all essence it's still poetry it's still it's still pretty words um, and so and so it's that but I mean yeah the thing is there is a difference uh, between there's no there's no like better right it's just a difference it, but there's no there's not like a handful of poets that you, that you look up to uh, so poets that I really like are um, are uh, Imani Cezanne, uh Javon Johnson I really enjoy um, I just seen Ed Mabry over the weekend um, I love Ed Mabry every time I see him he blows me away um, who else do I like um, ooh, I'm on the spot no it's all good I like, I like, like, like Mike McGee's really good Shaka Campbell uh, somebody I really I really respect uh, Andrea Gibson um, is a fantastic poet. I love her. Um, Sam Sachs is a is an amazing poet. Denez Smith um, is somebody I highly respect. Um, I was recently reading some work by Nate Marshall. I really enjoyed. Um, like Ariana Brown's work. She's she's a great poet. Um, and so there's there's a lot there's a lot of examples I watch. But I mean, mainly I say I say uh, Rudy Francisco is also another great poet. Um, and then, like, page poets, I read, um, I really like some, I've been reading some Sylvia Plath lately, Allen Ginsberg, I enjoy, um, I really like, oh, I really like Charles Bukowski, I think he, I think he's underrated, um, he doesn't get as much credit as he should in the, in the lit scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, cause he was writing some real shit, he was writing some real emotional shit, and I could be about that. Um, and that's something I love too, um, you know, because like I love Pablo Neruda. I, uh, I like reading his poetry. It's very sweet, pretty words. But some of the poets where words are ugly, mm-hmm. but it's to prove a point. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that it seems like you're, you're you you've kind of are taking your poetry to more of a of a political stance. Mm-hmm. Is that do you feel you're part of the journey of you looking for your poetic voice? 
I think so. I think it's definitely, I'm still in this process and I might always be in this process of, you know, finding who I am and what, and what my beliefs are and where I stand. Um, but I definitely in the past, in the past few years, the past, at least, at least the past year or two, I've, I've really just, um, beginning to notice what, you know, like the, the politics of our country and how much I feel and, and, uh, and agree or don't agree with some, with some of the ways, um, some of the ways things are handled or some of the things I see in the media, the news. Um, and so, and so I just, I just been trying to force myself to be more vocal about it, to create more, to a part of my process of poetry is a, the idea that I'm going to voice this and it's going to somehow be dialogue about it. Maybe dialogue gets created after about it, or maybe, or maybe even in, even in the show, uh, somebody hears it and creates dialogue with it. But the, the fact that it's getting said more, um, from my point of view, at least. So can you go a bit into the creative process? pretty much the inception of the idea to on paper and eventually to performing um yeah so usually like i'll get an idea um like uh i'll get yeah i'll, I'll see something in the news or maybe i'll have an idea like i really want to write about this thing that's kind of obscure um and i'll kind of kind of like sit for a while it'll kind of i'll just be an idea and maybe i'll write like the idea out on a page and have it sit there but um and then some amount of time will pass. Sometimes it's a lot longer. Sometimes it's very short. Um, and I'll start writing. I'll start writing, just uh, like like whatever comes to mind. Uh, very very like uh, like I'm not trying to write the poem. I'm just trying to write free write. And uh, I'll do that. And then I'll look at it. Figure try to figure out what I what I really want to say. How I really feel just by like letting my emotions flow out. And then slowly start to edit a poem into into what I want it to be, and um, and pull out um, and pull out like like what what underlining meanings I'm I'm saying. So it's like it's like writing the poem and then going in and dissecting myself essentially and figure out what I'm trying to say and then just saying that better. Okay, and how, how do you prepare yourself to perform? For me, poetry is the hardest thing for me to perform. I write poetry too, and I do stand up. I play music. Um, I do some other stuff. I have acted in theater. Mm-hmm. Poetry always scares the shit out of me to perform. I mean, you know, I think performing in general, like, performing in general is tough. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a you know, it's a public speaking is like the number one fear. More people for public speaking than death or spiders or <laughs> whatever. I think a lot more people for spiders than death. It's, it's kind of funny. But, um, yeah, like, it's definitely, it's a scary thing. Um, like, I step for me to some of the content I talk about is very personal, very close to home. Um, I'm usually very emotional at the end of poems just because I'm I'm re I'm reliving um, past experiences or parts of myself that I'm writing about, whether it be something even happy or sad or even traumatic. Um, Dude, you had me almost crying when I saw your kitchen sessions. Um, uh, you were performing, and things were really gravitated to me. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I kind of related to it. He had, he had a couple poems, mm-hmm. um, and, and I was like, "Yeah, this guy really has that energy with it." Yeah, is that something you felt you always had, or is that something you developed? I think it's something I developed. I think I'm a pretty quiet person. I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, reserved for the most part until like I'm on stage. Then it's like a different beast. Um, you put on that persona. Exactly. It's like, yeah. a, or I, I just like it's a it's a space for me. To like let these th- these things I kept inside or bottle up or like you know that I passion like the things that I feel really passionate about to like 
express them and express them in a very outward way. Um, and it's usually very loud and it's lots of, sometimes it's very angry, sometimes it's very emotional. Um, and I'm usually writing, I'm usually like for me, poems are places that are very close to home. The personal experiences I write to are things that I'm going through. Um, things that I write because I need catharsis or some form of healing or some form of moving past it. Um, and, uh, and and that and sometimes it just it just pertains to me. Sometimes it does pertain to a larger political conversation, but it usually revolves around a personal experience or something that I that I can feel close to. Um, and just being able to understand. So part of the edit. So part of my editing process is going through and understanding um, how much more I can push into these spaces where I'm uncomfortable and talk about that in a public space. And so when I go up there, I'm usually I usually embody the motions really well because. I don't have, it takes me out of like the thinking about performing these things um and like a lot of my a lot of my lead up into performing like things i do is i really just make sure i memorize the poem um make sure i know make sure i know how i feel in the poem make sure i know like why i wrote the poem where it's coming from um there's a process of in performance where i you know you go through and the same as like pulling out what i already meant you i go through and i figure out um the exact emotions I'm feeling in every in every part of the poem so I'm not you know I'm not so I can embody those more fully so like um, if I'm you know and which, interesting you put like emotional landmarks in certain parts of the poems yeah so when you hit those those spots you're like all right I got to be this way at this point exactly because sometimes sometimes if you, when you perform it like in the first couple of drafts you're like you're like performing the emotion but you won't allow yourself to go there fully because you haven't acknowledged it yet or you haven't acknowledged that like oh this part really does uh make me feel you know like a great shame or makes me feel like really really upset or maybe i'm really angry in this part um but i'm not I'm not fully getting their performance because i'm not acknowledging it and then going through and finding these points and being like okay no i am really angry here let me see how angry i need to be for it to feel good because um, if it doesn't feel good on stage it's not gonna it's not gonna feel good to the audience and so I go through and you find that um, and you kind of like you flush it out and you pull it out of the poem you pull it out of the performance um, so before I go up I always make sure that you know I know where these parts are and I know that the performance will like go through in a fluid motion um, and just kind of like memorizing mm. what's something you, re you recommend to someone who's not familiar with poetry but are considering getting into it is there any tips or anything like that I mean so like if you like for anybody who wants to write just like poetry i've just like pick up a pen and write i think there's um there's people i think people truly try to have, I, do a hierarchy to poetry there is no hierarchy to poetry i think you're if you're writing and you call it poetry then it's, that's what it is that's what it's going to be but i definitely recommend uh like you know you pick up some people to read find uh find like an anthology or a collection of work and figure out which poets or poems you like and then just start following those artists um, for like spoken word or for like you know for like uh, poetry to speak out loud even for like slam um, I don't know what's going on with my phone <laughs> for like slam um, I would recommend you know going like writing some work and going to an open mic trying it out uh, try to watch I watch a lot of YouTube <laughs> YouTube is in, in the past probably like four to five years YouTube has become the amazing invention especially for poetry it's a huge platform before you know before 
you know, Button Poetry or like, you know, any of these, any of these big names, all deaf digital, um, you wouldn't see spoken word on YouTube or you'd see someone's phone camera recording of things and you, it was really hard to find uh, videos. And now there's just such a, a, an excess uh, of, of resource on YouTube just, just to see what this looks like and to see who's doing this well or to see someone who's speaking uh, a narrative that, that that's close to you and you want to kind of embody. Um, I really recommend just going through and watching watching videos. Um, and Button Poetry is a great place to start. Oh, yeah. All right, we've hit that point. I believe you have poems to perform for us today. Yes. You down for that? Yes. Let me uh, let me pull them out of my fancy technology device. To my next lover. I actually haven't performed this in a while, so this is this is fun. <coughs> mm. And this will be the one. I often lay awake at night and wonder if your bed will be my destination or another midnight confessional. Will I tell you of the others who have howled my name to the moon, the flesh I werewolf for when I turn lustful, who not only bear my secrets with me, but accept them, my drug-like sex addiction, my bisexual tendencies, the self-conscious swinging between my thighs, we deposit into each other, asking for it, like it's divinity, like we see God in each other, how intimate, intimate can be when you know I am not holding back, when there's nothing between us but skin and sweat, you will tell me how secrets are not meant for closet doors, that is not intimacy, that is hiding, you will ask me how long I have been hiding. It was my sophomore year of high school. The first time my lips led me to press into another man's body. His dark lips tasted of the Doritos and wine coolers we just finished indulging for months. I told myself it was drunken coincidence that the nights I lay awake thinking of my passionate hands digging into the back of his coarse afro curls was just a phase, an experiment gone terribly wrong that my attraction to men wasn't already there for years. So I hid my identities between the gridiron and the rustling map wore the uniform of a straight boy stuffed my curiosity further back into lockers began putting no homos at the ends of every wandering phrase like i like your eyes no homo or nice smile no homo or can i have a hug my mouth became an open wound i was trying to stitch back shut there is no closet acceptance can fit inside of. The people around me will not expect me to contain myself beautiful. I must accept the lion inside of all of us, clawing its way out of our guts, holding my ground as the fearful become spectators to mock the marvelous I am becoming. So in being a man and loving a man do become synonymous. We will hold our, our, we will hold our masculinity in a space between pressed lips, allow truth to become our loudest roar. Acceptance is the only escape from the closet closet dressing myself in my most fabulous secrets like my heart deserves a bleeding on my sleeves bisexuality isn't just about sex it's about knowing who I am is more important than who others want me to be it's about learning to stand in my own body it's about allowing this heart to walk in the places unfamiliar when I do not recognize myself 
is when I know to love unconditionally as if my truth is a home I've always longed to live inside of. The truth is, I have no idea who I'll end up being, what gender preference we choose to call ourselves brave, slip in our voice when defining our sexuality does not need any label, knowing that we could be nobody other than ourselves. But it starts by taking the skeletons inside of my closet and burying them. Jarvis, thank you for coming. It's a pleasure. Thank you. It's been